I kind of want to jump right into it because uh, I got I got to get this short, but I got a lot to say. So, uh, so let's dive right into it. And we're going to be a little all, all over the place today. So let's go to Psalm 89 to start off with. And I just want to I got to kick it off with two points, just just uh, kind of set the stage, and then we're going to dive into some really good stuff here. And uh, as far as uh, I don't necessarily title my messages a lot, but I'm titling this one if uh, anyone who wants a title. And uh, it's called, uh, Blessed Are Those Who Know the Joyful Sound. Uh, again, that's, Blessed Are Those Who Know the Joyful Sound. And uh, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. We'll explain that in just a minute here. Uh, anyway, I, uh, Psalm 89, we're going to start at verse 14. And it says, Righteousness and justice are truth, some of your translations will say, are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. And blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. And I, I actually am not saying that right because there's an explanation point after the word sound. Blessed are those who know the joyful sound. They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. In your name they rejoice all day long. And in your righteousness they are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength, and in your favor our horn is exalted. There's a lot in here. I really don't need necessarily to read all that I just read, but I, I just, anytime I read this, I want to read the whole context right there because it's so powerful. But I just want to zero back in, and we're going to use this uh, to bridge our, our message. But blessed, verse 15 says, Blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. There's a blessedness that comes to the people who not just hear, but they know this joyful sound. And the obvious question is, well, what's this joyful sound that we're so blessed if we know it? Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Okay? All right. Keep that in mind. All right. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. And again, I just want to, I'm actually going to, I'm going to Genesis chapter 2 to just bridge off a concept that we're going to take with us uh, in the remainder of the message as well. And we're going to be from Genesis to Revelation today. And then we're going to go back in the middle and uh, uh, preach this message. Okay? Uh, we'll start at verse 1. In Genesis chapter 2, we'll start at verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day God fit, ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all of his work which God had created and made. Now there's a whole series of messages I could use uh, to build on this whole premise, but we're right here, uh, we're just talking about the Sabbath. We're talking about the seventh day. God created the heavens and the earth. And if you read chapter 1, he talks about how God created, he said, let there be light and there was light. Let there be land and there was land. Let there be plants and animals, there were plants and animals. God created everything by the power of his word. And in times past, we've also spoken out of Hebrews chapter 1, and we don't need to go there right now, but in Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, it says, God has been speaking to various times, to various manners, to various ways, has now spoken to us to his son. And then it goes on to say in that same context, it says, God, God upholds all things by the power of his word. When he himself purge our sins. Well, when he himself purged our sins, that's the finished work of the cross. And he upholds all things by the power of that word when he himself purged our sins. 
So in other words, God created everything. And God, everything is being upheld by the same power of his word when he himself purged our sins. That's huge. The, the cosmos, everything that we know, every, every, all the materials that, we're, that create this room and the, the chairs and the tables and everything that create the, the, all the equipment that we use here, our own bodies, our own lives, every living organism and every material that's been made out of living organisms and whatnot has been at our, upheld by the power of his word when he himself purged our sin. And that's a whole other message. I can preach that again. But, uh, but uh, it says here that when God finished his work, he rested. Because the work was done. It was finished. This whole creation story is an allegory, really. Even though it's a real thing. Creation is a real thing. We were created. He's created all things. But it's still an allegory of the finished work of Jesus Christ. God recreated us in Christ Jesus. He came, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteous of God. The whole purpose, the whole message of the cross is that he reconciled us back to himself. And because that work, that work is finished, that redemption that he done for us is finished, God is resting. God's not continuing, he's not going to the cross daily or yearly or annually to redeem us. He's already done it. It's a finished work. He's reconciled us. Now there's a whole message here in, uh, about rest too. See when God, uh, when man sinned, and they, God drove him out of the garden. And there's, there's, again there's so much I can preach on this and I really don't want to spend too much time here. But, uh, but see man was in the, before the fall, man lived in the, in the, in the, in a, in a rest he was able to eat from the, 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 the tree of, uh, of life without hindrance. And then, but then he, man, fell by partaking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And when God said that when they did that, they would surely die. Their spirit man truly died. But they were in the fall state, and what they really lost, and this is a whole other message, but they lost this position of rest. That's really what they lost. And you, you can even you can see this whole Sabbath that God ordained for man was not so much about, a, 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 see, one of the questions you would, you would have to ask is, okay, God created the heavens and the earth in six days, but on the seventh day he rested. Well, then what did he do on the eighth day? Did he go back to work? Did he go back to creating more heavens and earth? Did he go, or, did he, or was this rest a continual state of God because the work was finished? You get that? The work was finished. And, and it was, and when you look at the creation story, it wasn't until the sixth day that God created man. At the very end of creating everything, he created man. He didn't create man until there was land to live on, until there was trees and animals and vegetables and, and, and for man to uh, provide for himself, if, if, if you will, even though he was the provider of it all. He didn't make man when there was only... It was only light, but it was nowhere to put man. He, didn't, he, he waited until the, the creative work was finished. He created man, and then he rested. God, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, has recreated us in himself. And then he, he, he recreated us, and then he rested. It's a, it's a finished work. 
But when man sinned, see, when man sinned, when through the fall, one of the curses, and when you read in Genesis chapter 3, that man had, instead of just managing the garden, he now had to toil the garden, the, the ground, through sweat and toil to produce his livelihood. It was through stress and sweat and toil. And again, I'm sp- actually spending too much time on this, but it, it's, uh, it's about a... But there, there's a place of rest that we're supposed to be living in. There was a place of rest that man was created in. And then when, he, when man fell through sin, he lost that rest. And God instituted the Sabbath to remind man of this rest that he lost. But it was through the finished work of Jesus Christ that God reconciled and re- restored that position of rest that we are supposed to live in now. We can read in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 where he talks about, he talks about us entering again into that rest. And we're, we're, gonna, we're not necessarily going to go into Hebrews, but we're going to be talking a little bit about this. But I spend a little bit, the reason I'm talking about this, we're going to be talking about the Sabbath a little bit. Uh, I don't have time today to, to really preach this message entirely. But I do want to make this one more point. Jesus healed. When Jesus in his ministry, most of the time, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Because the whole Sabbath was a picture of rest. The whole Sabbath was a picture of a finished work. And because the finished work is a finished work, we can receive our healing. We can receive our provision. We can receive our whatever we need for God. We talk about car problems. We talk about finances. We talk about buildings. We talk about work. We talk about different things that we need. Everything is like Andrew Womack said, we've already got it because of the finished work. And because, and, and we don't have it just because we're using magical words or we're, we're using a formula. We got it because he provided it for us through the finished work. And he restored us back into this rest that we're supposed to be living in. You guys following me so far? A lot of this is really just introduction. I wish I had time to... This is a whole other series of messages talking about this whole Sabbath and this whole rest uh, that we're supposed to be living in. But I just want to at least say that much to the, the, the springboard this message on. Okay? With that in mind, let's go to Revelation chapter 5. Let's and I hope I'm not going too fast. I'm not trying to just fast forward through stuff, but I'm really just trying to right now lay a, lay a foundation uh, and speak a little bit towards that foundation uh, that we're going to build on. But really we're coming back, we're going to come back to this blessed are those people who know the joyful sound. There's a blessedness. And we're going to uh, again start getting into it now a little bit. But uh, Revelation chapter 5. Now the book of Revelation, I know there's a lot of different um, Perspectives, if I can use that word, on the book of Revelation. I know a lot of, most of the perspectives usually uh, hinge around the whole idea of the second coming and uh, the re- return for, uh, for uh, Jesus, for his bride. And I'm not watering that down at all. I think that's an awesome message. But one thing, you know, when I started getting this revelation of this finished work of Jesus Christ, when I started getting a revelation of this gospel of grace, that uh, grace that we know, to Andrew Womack, to Joseph Prince, to others who introduced me to this message, to Karis Bible College, where we attend, some, a lot of us attend. Uh, 
when I started getting this revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ that reveals his righteousness, and we started, we started Psalm 89 saying that the righteousness and truth are the very foundation of his throne. The gospel, it says, it says in Romans 1, chapter 1, verses 16 to 17, the gospel reveals to us this righteousness, this, this ministry of righteousness, this, this, uh, this, ministry, this righteousness that God has redeemed us to. When I started getting this revelation, I started seeing this gospel being preached, not just in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the New Testament, but I started seeing this gospel being preached in the Old Testament. And, I saw, and, I see, and I, it's not a different story in the book of Revelation. I see the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached from Genesis to maps to the book of Revelation. I, it's the same message. Because God has been through various times, through various manners, been speaking one real message. And that's the message of the finished work of Jesus Christ. We can look at it uh, in the Old Testament looking forward. We can look at the book of Revelation and the New Testament kind of looking backward. But it's all pointing to the same message of Jesus Christ. So with the book of Revelation, yes, I believe there's a message of the second coming. But I don't believe that's really the primary message of this book. And I'm not going to have time to read all 22 chapters and dive all that in, dive into all that. But I really believe it's just that. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation. Until you got a revelation of his first coming, and what he accomplished through his first coming, his second coming, the revelation of his second coming, really has no purpose for you. Because unless you know that you're going to, unless you have a revelation of his first coming, his second coming, it, it doesn't benefit you. There's no excitement about that. There, it, it almost, in one sense, it almost doesn't even apply. It, it, it does, but, but, but you guys get my point. But we have, Jesus, and and John, and we, we, there's different parts when John who wrote this book and who God gave him this revelation, he was so adamant that this book, this letter, would be passed around to the churches and be proclaimed and preached. And I don't think it was just regarding the second coming. I'm not, and I'm not, again, don't misunderstand me. I don't, I'm not trying to take away from that. But it's about a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's about a revelation of this finished work that is being so proclaimed, and even in a prophetic way, in, in the New Testament. That makes sense? Okay? You guys with me so far? And specifically this chapter, chapter 5. I don't have time to necessarily get into all of it, but we're going to read a big chunk of it. And then I'm going to pull out just a couple of things that we're going to focus on. But keep in mind, we're talking about the finished work. And this chapter really just paints a picture of what our worthy lamb has accomplished for us. Okay? He says, and John says, And I saw, in, uh, again, chapter one, uh, 5, verse 1, and I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. And so I wept much. Because no one was found worthy to open the, and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and on the, 
and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And then he came, and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls of full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by, by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. Now there's a lot there. I just, I, I just, I love that picture. This, I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time about the scroll, but obviously the scroll was so important that John was weeping bitterly. There's no one in the earth, under the earth, in the heavens, nobody in all the cosmos of creation that could open the scroll. But then the tone changed. The angel told them to stop weeping because there is a worthy one, and he, he's a lamb, the worthy lamb that was slain. And he's standing in the very midst of this throne, a lamb that was slain, who has redeemed the world by the, by the power of his blood. Okay? Now there's a whole picture here. But I, want to, I really want to zero in on two different things here, and we're going to take this to the rest of our message. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 6. In verse 6, you'll notice that this, this lamb, this worthy lamb that's sta standing in the midst of the throne, and we all can, I think we can all venture to say that's Jesus, right? We're on the same page? Okay, he is the worthy lamb. But no, notice there's different attributes about this lamb, but I just want to zero in on one thing, and that is, he has seven horns. You guys notice that? Notice the seven horns? And he's a, he's a lamb, right? He's a ram. He's a lamb. You got that? Okay, we're going we're to take that with us. And then also I just want to notice one other thing. In verse 10, he's made us kings and he's also made us priests. I just want to zero in on that word priests, okay? Now, keep in mind, I'm not saying that the, the, the seven horns and priests are the, 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 the main message necessarily, or even the only message out of this passage. But I just want to zero in on that, okay? You guys with me so far? Okay? Okay? Let's go to Joshua, chapter 6. Uh, making sense so far? Hope I'm not going too fast, but I just want to set that stage uh, real quick. So we ha in this whole picture, and, and not only are we looking at the seven horns, and not only are we looking at the fact that about priests, but this is all about the finished work. Amen? This is actually a picture, an allegory, a picture of the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's a worthy lamb that was slain, that's been able to open the scroll and break its seals. He, he, it's just awesome. It's awesome. It's, it's so awesome that the, 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 the song changed in heaven. They started seeing a new song. You know? I mean, for, for generations, they were singing one song and basically weeping. But now they're singing a new song. So the, 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 you know, the, 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 the music in heaven changed because of this event. To me, that, to me that's just awesome. That's awesome. 
I mean, it's time to, if you're playing PowerPoint up in heaven, hit number two, <laughs> you know? So, but anyway. But anyway, and now, we're in book of Joshua, right? Joshua chapter 6? Now let's, let's set the stage here. What's happening in Joshua? Joshua, they're, they're coming to the promised land. Now remember, we already started talking about rest. And I, I wish I had more time to draw that whole message out. But the promised land and rest are two synonymous terms. They're really talking about the same thing. And this whole conquest of the promised land is really a, an allegory of what we are supposed to receive today, right now, today is the day of salvation because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, keep in mind, they just came out of Egypt. Egypt represents the world. And the, the, the promised land starting with Jericho, the very first city they're going to conquest, is all about the promised land, about their inheritance. Now, keep in mind, too, that the first generation that came out of Egypt, they died in the, they died in the wilderness. They were, it was supposed to be an 11-day journey to the promised land, but it ended up being 40 years. And why did it become 40 years? Because God failed them, but God missed... They didn't have GPS, so, you know... Uh, they took the wrong freeway, you know. Uh, what was the deal here? <laughs> and basically it came down to that they didn't trust God at his word. God told them in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that he would give them a land, a land with cities they did not build, vineyards they did not plant. And they, they, would, they weren't just going to have a land, but they were going to have a land that was totally complete. Talking about, I mean, can you imagine... Get in the house, you didn't, I mean, that's paid off. With, 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 I mean, with a storehouse, a bank account that's already filled, you know, cars that are not broken down, you know, everything you need. All you got to do now is take it from here, you know. But this, this is really, this is really what Andrew's also trying to preach. You already got it because of the finished work. And yet, this is what they were supposed to have 40 years ago. But they chose to believe the report of man versus the promise of God. See, yes, the miracle is in the journey. But it really was only supposed to be an 11-day journey, not a four-year journey. See, yes, yet, you know, the testimony goes that God, during those 40 years, they're closing that wear out. They're... Uh, other cars. They, they, you know, they had manna from heaven, and they had quail. Of course, you know, I love meat. I love potatoes. Yep. But I love buffet. <laughs> <laughs> I love to be able to choose. And what I had last week, I really don't want it this week. Let alone for 40 years having the same meal. But yet, yet it's still God provided. Their clothes did not wear out. How many of you have had clothes for the last 40 years? But even though God provided for them supernaturally, because that does not happen naturally, that was still not God's original promise. God's provision in the wilderness, how awesome as it is, and I don't want to take away from the, the, the testimony, that was not God's promise. God is still faithful even when we're not faithful. Amen? Amen. His faithfulness is not... Dependent on our faithfulness. Amen. But at the same time, 
God's promise was not for them to wander in the wilderness. They weren't in Egypt anymore, but they also were not in the promised land. They were in the middle. And so many of us, when we're, we've gotten this revelation, we're not in Egypt anymore, but we're still not totally in the promised land. We're stuck in, somewhere in the middle. And God brought you out to bring you in. That was the promise. The, the message of the finished work was not just so you could be saved and miserable. But to bring you into the very promise of God. The very rest that you lost because of the fall. The, the whole reason why they weren't in the promised land or in this rest was because of sin. Well, God redeemed us from sin. Sin has no more claim on our life because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. It has no more claim. You know, it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 17, where death once reigned because of one man, so much shall we also reign because we received this abundance of grace, I'm paraphrasing it, and this gift of righteousness. We've been given a gift of righteousness, an abundance of grace that was free, unmerited favor because of the cross. And we are the reign as kings and priests because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? And anyway, I, I, there's a lot I can say now. But here we are. We're in Joshua chapter 6. We're at the first. They just crossed over the. Now, this is the second generation that's coming into the promised land, right? The first generation died off in the wilderness except for Joshua and Caleb. Because why? Because Joshua and Caleb chose to believe God. And Caleb's testimony, you can read this later on in the book of Joshua, but he said, I feel stronger at 80 than I did when I was 40. See, it says in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, he talks about the benefits that we receive, that he's, that he's forgiven all of our iniquities, and he's healed us from all of our diseases. But also in that list of benefits, he also says he renews our youth like the eagles. We don't have to be afraid of age. Because God will renew your youth like the eagles. And if you will trust God at his word like Caleb, you can be stronger, you can do more for God at 80 than you could in 40. So age is, not a, age is not even an issue. It's about trusting God at his word and his promise. But here they are at the very first city. And this whole, see, this whole book of Joshua is about conquesting the land. See, God has given us a promised land. But there's a promised land to be conquested. And you're like, well, if he's done the work, then why am I doing it? He, he, he also said that he sent hornets ahead of them. Yes, they, they had, there were was, there was some battles they had to pick up a sword and fight, and some battles where they just had to stand still and see the salvation of your, of your God. But either way, he's the one that fought. See, God has already provided everything you need for life and godliness because you trust in the sacrifice. You trust in this finished work. But there's something that we need to go conquest. See, there's sicknesses that we need to drive out. There's, there's poverty that we need to drive out. There's things that we need to go receive. God said he's given us how city, he, he, did, he gave them cities that they did not build and vineyards they did not plant. Well, they needed to go occupy them. See, they had to go get the house. The house wasn't going to come to them. It wasn't a mobile, mobile house or a fifth wheel, okay? 
They were going to need it. They needed to go. But there was an enemy that they had to drive out. That makes sense? We got by God's strength. And there's enemy, there's an enemy today that's trying to steal our health, that's trying to steal our our, our, our money, trying to steal every even our cars, trying to break them down, whether it be an axle or or tires or whatever it might be. The enemy's trying to take what God has already given, and that's called a thief. But God is here to restore and to give us. See. Even the, this is a whole other message, but the, even the second generation, even though they did the job very well, they actually didn't, they never finished the job. And if you read the end of the book of Joshua, even to the book of Judges, there are several nations they just kind of gave up and just like, well, that's good enough. And one of those nations they didn't drive out was the Philistines. And if you read your Bible history throughout the, throughout the Old Testament, the Philistines were notorious for persecuting them. And that's part of the problems that Israel has today is because of these same nations that Israel did not totally drive out. They were supposed to drive out all of it. Instead, instead, instead they, they tolerated some of it. They did, they did well, but they didn't finish the job. And so, you know, so a lot of us today, we know God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. All the promises of God are yes and amen through, in Him, through us. But some of us sometimes... Are, you know, we, we've seen victory in this area, we've seen victory in this area, we've seen victory in this area, but maybe with this area we're just kind of coping with it. You know, we're just kind of, it's kind of like, they're not bother, it's not bothering me and I'm not bothering it, but at the same time, we're supposed to drive out all the enemy of the land. We're supposed to receive the very fullness of God's promise. It's all through his strength, it's all because of the finished work. But, it's not, but at the same time, we need to go conquest. I mean, I can talk about the story of the, the man with the axe head. And, uh, I think it's First Kings or Second Kings chapter 6. And it, uh, it, I mean, it seems like whenever I read that, read that story, like, God, why do you put this story in there? Just an axe head. I mean, it's, it's not life and death, you know, just an axe head. Go to Home Depot and get another one. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> you know? But, you know, it, but it was still a testimony of God's provision where the axe head began to float. And there's a part of that story where the, the prophet Elisha said, well, it's floating. Now, axe heads don't float. Okay. So it's going to, you know, but at the same time, there's a point in that story where the, the prophet said, go get it. He had to go get into the muddy river and claim his provision. God did the miracle to get allowed to float, but he had to go receive it. And there's, that God, there's a lot of things that God has given us because of the finished work of the cross, but we need to go receive it. We need to receive it. Not in our own strength, not through some magical words, not through some formula, but believing and trusting in the sacrifice. Ryan May will preach about, about we need to consume the, the entire sacrifice. If you read about the Passover meal, they were to consume it all. Leave nothing. They were to consume it all. They were supposed to, we are supposed to drive out all the enemy. Now, now, there's another picture about this too. If you read the book of Joshua, and when they went into the promised land, now, there was 12 tribes, right? And we actually, you can actually see some of them. It's in Spanish, but you can see a lot of it over here, okay? But now, as they went to the promised land, they might get one area, territory, and they're all conquered. But you still got 11 other brothers in their, their territories, tribes. And the, 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 the commandment or the, the instruction, the agreement at the very beginning is that as they were going to go into the promised land, 
as you got your area conquered, you leave your, <clears throat> the women and children to, to stay home, but then you agreed to go with the, the other tribes to help conquer their land so that all the land would be conquered. That makes sense? Yeah, so if they helped you get yours, you know, you go help them get your, theirs. See, we might be in a place where we're not struggling financially. We're not struggling with addictions. We're not struggling with sicknesses. And, and as far as we know, everything's kind of going okay. We might have bat, little fires here and there that we have to deal as they come up. But there's still, all I know, there's a world full out there who need to be delivered and be healed and be saved and be delivered from all the bondage of sickness and, 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 and disease and everything. And so just because you and your house are doing okay, there is still land to be conquered. And there's still people that we need to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. There's still, we are, Genesis chapter says that we are blessed to bless all the families of the earth. And so just because me and my house, we're doing okay, it doesn't mean the job is done. But we trust God to give us the ability and the grace to go out there and conquer some land for, for our brothers and our sisters. Amen? Amen? Okay, let's get back to the message a little bit. <clears throat> All right. That was just a little bit to uh, set the stage of entering this promised land. Sometimes we just read over this and we don't apply this to us. Okay? So remember, remember we read in Revelation, we talked about the the ram's horns, and we talked about the priests, and then we also talked about in Genesis chapter 2, we talked about the Sabbath, okay? Well, we're going to see all three of these come to play here, okay? Let's go ahead and start with uh, verse, uh, we're in chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 2. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I just want to focus on that, see, church, there's something for us to see. It's not, it's not necessarily something we need to, we're going to see with the natural. But we need to, there's something that God has given us because of the cross that we need to see. We need to behold. I've been, at, my, at our own house church, we've been spending a lot of times right now talking about this word behold. This word behold, you're going to find it several times in the New Testament. It, it, it's defined it's in, the, in the Greek as this, to see with the mind. There's over 300 scriptures in the New Testament that we're supposed to see who we are in Christ. There's over 512 different scriptures in the Old and New Testament talking about the righteousness of God. There is something, because what Christ has accomplished for us, there is a whole new perspective of what we need to see in our life, in our provision, and what God has accomplished for us. Who we are. Our own identity has changed. Because of the cross, we have crucified the old man, we have buried him in baptism, and we've been raised together in newness of life because of the cross. We, and the, the man who comes out of the water is not the same man. We are resurrected with Jesus Christ. The old man is gone. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become. And that word become is where we get the word gene, to be, be born of. We have been born of God. We, we are a whole new creation. It says in a, just a few verses before, I'm quoting from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, we are to behold all things that pass away, all things that become new. There's something that we need to see. Our whole perspective on life and the gospel and our whole perspective on who we are needs to change because of the cross. It, it's not just an event that we read about. It's not just something we, we talk about during Easter time or Christmas. What Christ accomplished is not just talking about the event of the cross. It's also talking about what Christ accomplished because of the cross. We are redeemed. We are redeemed. We are new creations. We are born of God. We are born again. He says, see, 
I have given Jericho into your hand and the mighty man of valor. God has already given it to us. Verse 3, you shall march around the city, all your men of war, and you shall go into all around the city once. This you shall do six days. Verse 4, and how many priests? Seven priests shall bear how many trumpets? Okay. Of what? Ram's horns. Where did we see those ram's horns before? On the worthy Lamb of God. Seven priests bearing seven ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day, what's the seventh day? The Sabbath. So the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets, and the shock on the bass. When they make a long blast, it's not just a little uh, toot. This is a long blast with the ram's horn. With the ram's horns. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout, then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. I want to actually read something to you. Um, I look up this, this word, uh, trumpet, in both the Greek and the Hebrew. Uh, and, the, and, and, the, and the Hebrew is known as shofar. And bear uh, with me just one moment. It says, uh, I looked it up, and then uh, in the Greek, it's defined this way. And I can't pronounce the name that it gives, so I'm not even going to try. But it says, it's, a pro it's properly a war trumpet. See, one thing you'll notice, too, that this, this word trumpet, you'll see that throughout the Old, Old and New Testament, primarily the Old Testament, it's always used in a time of war. That's how they communicated to each other. Whether they knew the retreat, whether they knew there was victory. You know, when there's victory, you don't have to keep fighting. <laughs> it's already over, you know. Uh, when, when, the, when the debt's paid, you don't have to keep sending payments. Uh, that's a good time to stop. Um, okay? <laughs> You know, um, so, yeah. uh, when, the, when the wife says she forgives you, you don't have to keep fighting. It's over. <laughs> okay? Uh, or whatever, you can change the scenario. Okay? Uh, but it just, uh, you know, it, it, anyway, I opened the can of words I probably shouldn't open. <laughs> but it's a war cry. That's how they communicated by a trumpet. But this, this, this war cry, was, it actually goes on and says, in the Old Testament, trumpets were used to call God's people to war and to announce victory wrought by him. That is, a military clarion that proclaimed the, the Lord inspired and empowered the victory on behalf of his people. This trumpet, this trumpet that was made out of not just, uh, it was made out of ram's horn. That to me signifies the worthy Lamb of God. Seven priests with seven ram's horns. And I don't think it's very insignificant. It says in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 6, that the worthy Lamb of God with seven horns. Seven speaks of perfection. Seven speaks of completeness. And seven priests of seven ram's horns were to shout on the seventh day that marks the Sabbath, that marks this rest was to blast this horn. And it was announced to the whole city. 
that the victory is here. The victory, it's, it's victory. It's a, it was a victory sent. You got, you got that? And uh, let's, just, let's just fast forward for a second time here. Let's go to verse uh, 13. And it says, Seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets and the armed men went before them. But the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And then it, uh, it talks about the second day in verse 14, and it goes on through. And then let's go to verse 15. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. And on, the day, and on that day, only they marched around cities seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now keep in mind, Jericho is the, 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 the first city that they're coming into this promised land. And they're coming into the promised land because of the Passover lamb that was slain back in Egypt, that they were actually supposed to celebrate an 11-day 11, an 11 journey but it took them 40 years to get there. But when they finally get there, and they, they, the, the first battle, the first city, on the, they, the, the instruction of God, and this is not, you don't see this, if you watch any type of military shows or TVs, you don't usually see the strategy portrayed that you're just going to walk around the city, okay? And then on the seventh day, you're going to walk around the city sometimes and just blow a horn, and the wall is going to come down. That's not how they train you in boot camp, Okay? <laughs> That, that, that's, not the, that's not how it goes. But, but this, is, this is God's strategy because it's not just about trusting, it is about, all about trusting God. But there's a message here. And it's, it points to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because when we blow this ram's horn that speaks about the worthy lamb of God, just, see, this whole trumpet is about there's other verses I could use on Isaiah and different places. The trumpet sound is a, is a proclamation. And there is something that we need to shout to the enemy. There's something that we need to shout to the world and to the church of Jesus Christ. That the victory is won. And when we, we're not, we're not putting, the, see the focus was not on man. The focus was on the ram's horn that points to Jesus Christ. And when we, when we proclaim the message of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and when we, we don't just give a little toot. No, we're blasting this thing. We're blasting it, and we're shouting it out, because you and I, we are kings and priests of the Most High God, just like these seven priests, and we shout this message of the finished work of Jesus Christ, and the walls that surround, the walls that barricade us to our promise must come down in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus that we proclaim. In the name of Jesus that we are shouting and that we are blowing this trumpet. So what, what, what are your walls? Are they finances? Are they sickness? Are they car problems? Whatever, whatever is preventing you from conquering your city. Because all the, all the city and all that's in it is yours. And we're not just necessarily talking about cities. But at the same time, we are. God has given us Reseda. God has given us Ontario. God has given us America. God has given us the nations in, in his name. He's redeemed the world to himself. And we need to proclaim this message of the finished work of Jesus Christ that the walls of sickness, the walls of politics, the walls of anything that are 
keeping us from entering our promise, must come down because of the worthy Lamb that we proclaim. Amen? Amen? Let's paint the picture one more time. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 25. You guys get anything out of this? Thank you. Leviticus, Leviticus? 25. You know, most of my growing up and being a pastor before, I rarely ever preached out of Leviticus or some of these uh, Torah books. But when I started seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ, I saw it all over the place. Uh, I, I, can preach, uh, I can preach from every, uh, every chapter in Leviticus, and it will point to the cross. See, all, all, the, all the Israel and even most of the church today, when they, read the book of, when they read the law, all they see is the commandment. But they miss the message. And the message is pointing to the cross. Yes, it was ordinances back in that day that they had to follow. But that's all they saw. All they saw was the ordinances. And they missed the message. It's the same with baptism today. It's the same with the table communion today. They're all, they all point to the cross. They're all about a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And so many times we can worship the ordinances. Even the Sabbath. We think it's a day of worship. No, if you read the book of Leviticus, everything they did was about worship. Our worship is a lifestyle. And I was talking to Javier the other day uh, at work, but, you know, we can... We, I, love, I love worship as far as what we know is praise and worship songs. But, for example, if... Let's say my wife constantly was just telling me how wonderful she thought I was and different things and she gave me all kinds of accolades and praise and adoration but anything I said any direction or instruction or even just just boot for thought I would say she didn't value anything I said she would never listen to me she wouldn't take it to heart she would obviously never comply to it or whatnot. But, she, but at the same time, she constantly give me praise and adoration and, and accolades, but she would never value anything I had to say. To me, as a man, or even as a person, I would feel devalued. And so many times, we, we, you know, we can worship God. We can worship Him with, in song and music. We can worship Him with tears. We can worship Him standing up, kneeling down on our face. And, and not, not that God doesn't receive our praise, and not that I wouldn't receive my wife's uh, accolades, but if we but uh, we can worship we can worship him in that manner. But we don't never take his word, and we never trust it. We never read it. We never apply it to our lives. God says He's given us all this, but we never trust it. Does He feel worshipped? Does He feel valued? And it's not take away from the other part. We need that time. We need we need those moments. But God is worshipped when we trust Him. God is worshiped when we trust him and take him at his word. And God has said that he's provided everything we need for life and godliness through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Can we trust that? Can we trust that? That everything you need for, everything you're crying out to God for, God has already provided for you. Can you trust that? And when you trust him at his word, he is worshiped. And I believe the response will come, praise and worship as we know it. Psalms and and, 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 and hymns and whatnot. But he's worshipped when we take him at his word. Now, uh, real quick, I just want to... Uh, uh, in Leviticus chapter 25, I, I, it talks about uh, jubilee. And I'm, I'm not going to read all of this. I'm going to actually read just a couple of verses here in a minute. But let me set this up. Jubilee. 
Remember I, I already talked about, in Genesis chapter 2, we talked about the Sabbath. And Jubilee is all surrounded about this whole idea of Sabbath. You know, the, the Jewish law, and actually, the, the Jewish custom, let me put it that way, was that they rested six, they worked six days, and then on the seventh day, there was the Sabbath. But that wasn't just about the week, but that same principle was applied to years. They would work six years, and then on the seventh year, the seventh year, they would, they would be off. They, would not, they were not allowed to sow the crops, and they were not allowed to reap the crops during that seventh year. I mean, the, the benefit to that was you had a whole year's vacation. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm in for that, a whole year off of vacation. But when they trusted God at his word, he promised them that during the, the sixth year, he would provide them with a triple harvest that would see them through the eighth year. Because they're not, gonna, not only are they can't reap the harvest in the seventh year, but they also can't sow. So that means they're not going to have anything in the eighth year. But if they would trust God at his word, it was the same principle with manna, that when they trusted God at his word, he provided them a triple harvest in advance during the sixth year that would see them through the eighth year. But with the whole year's vacation. Because their, their main occupation and provision was through farming, right? Now, some of them had different occupations in the days. But, uh, but as far as agriculture, that was their livelihood uh, for, for a lot of them. But then, then also, and then another thing is that and, uh, how, how they worked out in a lot of those uh, customs was, let's say your family was struggling with debt. Uh, you, you owed somebody some money. Uh, not, not a lot of times that was for provision or for buying property or whatever. But you couldn't pay it off. A lot of times you had to, in a sense, sell yourself as a servant or a slave to work off that debt. And sometimes not only did it fall on the father, but sometimes it fell on the mother. And sometimes it even fell on the kids, that they would have to, they would have to go into uh, voluntary slavery or servanthood, if you would, to work off their debts. Uh, and, and so the families could be separated for years. Um, but then the Jubilee, see, they would have seven, seven uh, every, they would work six years, and that seventh year they have, a, have it off. But after seven cycles of that, which would be 49 years, on the 50th year, which is called Jubilee. But Jubilee was also a year where they could not, har they could not sow and harvest. Now, the, but the 50th year followed the 49th year, which was the Sabbath year. So there was a two-year period where they couldn't harvest or sow. But God promised them again that if they would trust him at his word, during the 48th year, he would give them a quadruple harvest that would see them through the 51st first year, but with a two-year vacation. Okay, so you guys got the picture so far? How that works? Okay. But, okay, with that, uh, with that in mind, let's go to uh, verse, uh, verse 9, chapter 25. Okay. And it says, Then you shall cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. This is the key. On the day of atonement. You shall make the trumpets to sound throughout all your land. And you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all of the land to all of its inhabitants. And it shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his possession. And each of you shall return to his family. Now there's more I can bring out of this, but uh, let me just uh, draw your uh, attention here for a moment. See, on the 50th year, on the day of atonement, 
and when this, this jubilee, what this jubilee meant is that when this trumpet sounded, and it sounded on the Day of Atonement, and I'll come back to that because that's key, is that every debt was canceled, every prisoner was released. That meant, that meant if you were a slave because of what I just talked about, because of debt, you were released, your debt was paid, and you got to go home. Can you imagine what a, what, a, what a celebration in the land? Your family that you cannot see for 50 years, you get to see them again with all debts paid and a two-year vacation to enjoy it? Isn't that, isn't that awesome? I mean, I always throw this in there. We, I mean, if, if you thought about it, on the 48th year, you would you max out all your credit cards. You know, because, you know, you got to get the jubilees coming. That's not the message here, but anyway, I, that's just how I think. But uh, anyway, but, but, but get this though. It says here in verse 9 that there was a sound. What marked Jubilee? What shot it off? What launched it? Was that they sounded this trumpet, the same trumpet we've been talking about, on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is the day that Jesus Christ purged our sins. This, we are living in a continuous, everlasting jubilee right now because of the finished work of the Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of the sound of the trumpet sounded on the day of atonement through the cross, every debt is paid, every prisoner is released in Jesus' name. The enemy, death, has no control over our life, over our finances, over our families at all. Because, and see, get this too. This was not an option. This was the commandment. This was the law of the land. You didn't have a choice to release the prisoner. You didn't have a choice to erase the debt. You were commanded. This was a covenant. You get that? That's huge. So, see, we are in covenant with Jesus. We have, he is our blood covenant. And the enemy doesn't have a choice to hold back our provision. He doesn't have a choice to hold back our sickness. He doesn't have a choice but to release us by the blood of Jesus, by the sound of the trumpet of Jesus Christ. We are free. We are a freedom house, a church without walls. Because he's taking down the walls. The walls have come down. This is the commandment. And with, that, with this, I'll close. Let's go to Isaiah 61. So uh, you guys getting a picture now of blessed are those who know the joyful sound? This is the joyful sound. This is the joyful sound. You are blessed. He is not blessed if you just hear it. See, there's a lot of people in church who are hearing this message, but you need to know it. See, remember the day, I, I, Andrew's talked about this, you know, the days of Abraham Lincoln. I'm not talking about Abraham in the Bible, but Abraham Lincoln, when he uh, broke the whole slave, slave trade movement. A lot of the plantations did not inform their slaves <laughs> that slavery was over. Because usually if you're a slave, depending on where, who your master was, you didn't necessarily, you didn't necessarily have, uh, you didn't have connection with the news, newspaper, or you really had no life. And so you were at the mercy of your master, or you know, through the grapevine, getting the news. And so for years, or I don't know how long it took, some of these slaves kept being slaves. 
Although the law of the land, so slavery is over. It was abolished. And see, there's people out there, and there's even among ourselves, that we're suffering, suffering with sickness, disease, lack, poverty, and we don't even know it. We don't know that we have a right to be free in Jesus' name. And so it's our job as priests and kings to let them know this message, this good news. See, it's good news. It's not good advice. It's good news. Good news. You are free. You are free. And you don't have to tolerate sickness. You don't have to tolerate lack. One iota. Because Jesus has paid the price. And by covenant you are released and liberated in Jesus' name. And with that, I'm just going to close with this. It's a very popular, popular scripture, but this is really what this is talking about. This whole jubilee that we just talked about. Starting in verse 1. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings or good news or the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons of those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee, and the day of vengeance of our God, to cover all who mourn, to counsel those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they shall be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And they shall rebuild the old ruins, and they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, yet the desolations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed in your flocks, and the sons of your foreigners shall be the plowman and your vine dresser. But you shall be named the priests of the Lord, that they shall call upon the servants of our God, and you shall eat the riches of the Gentiles. And in their glory you shall boast, and instead of your shame you shall have double honor. And instead of confusion, they shall rejoice in their portion. Therefore, in the land, they shall possess double. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, have loved justice. I hate robbery and burnt offering. And I will direct their work in the truth and will make them with them an everlasting covenant. And their descendants shall be known among the Gentiles and their offspring among the people. And all who see them shall acknowledge them that they are the posterity whom the Lord has blessed. And I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As the bridegroom decks himself with ornaments. And as the bride adorns herself with jewels. For the earth shall bring to earth brings forth its bud. As the garden causes the thing that are sown in it to spring forth. So the Lord your God will cause the righteousness and praise to spring forth before all the nations. Amen and amen. There's so much I could draw out here, but this is ours. This is our benefit by covenant, by the blood of Jesus Christ. This is yours if you're listening to on video. This is yours. This is ours. Proclaim the blessed are those who know this joyful sound. Proclaim this message. Sound the trumpet of the Lord. How do you do that? You preach this message, this gospel. You proclaim this good news to, in, in your own life, in your own situation. You proclaim this message to other people. I know we all have family and friends who don't want to hear this message. They don't want anything to do with this message. But that doesn't mean you have to back down. That doesn't mean you have to settle for less. You preach it nonetheless. They didn't want, not everyone in Jesus' day, not everyone in Paul's day, not everyone in the apostles' days wanted to hear this. They killed them all. 
because you just came from the religious leaders. But you preach anyway. You preach in season and out of season. What, what message? Not the message of the Lamb. The message of the worthy Lamb. This message of the finished work of Jesus Christ. You proclaim it and you receive what is yours. You don't have to wrestle with man to get it. See, our wrestle is not with flesh and blood, but our, against principalities and powers. And we release our findings. We release, release these things in Jesus' name. By the blood of the Lamb, lay hands on the sick and they must recover. Lay, lay hands on your wallet. It must produce whatever it might be. You lay hands on it. Not because, not some formula, but it, because you are trusting in the sacrifice. You're trusting in the cross. Not yourself. You're not, your faith is not in your own faith. Your faith is not in yourself. Your faith is in this message. Your faith is in what Christ has accomplished. You trust that. I don't care what it looks like. You trust that. I don't care if they tell you to walk around the wall seven times. I don't care if they don't teach you down to boot camp. You do it. You trust God. And the walls will come down. And so anyway, I can keep preaching. But uh, anyway, with that, I close. And amen. Let's sound the trumpet. And let's conquer the city. Amen. And with this, I just want to close. I don't know where all of you might be listening to on tape or on video. Perhaps you're here and you, you heard me preach and you've heard this message, but you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Everything I talked about is already yours. There's nothing you need to do. All you got to do is receive it. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I, I just want to lead you into a prayer to receive that. It's not some, you know, the Bible doesn't necessarily teach us to pray this prayer and we get it. It's basically just uh, words that we say to receive what God has already provided. It's an exercise we do, not to try to create a formula, but it's just a way that we can, in our own minds, in our own hearts, in our own words, just say, Lord, I, I might not understand it all, but I know that I want you in my life. And I receive all that you have for me. And so with that, would you just repeat after me? If you want to make the Lord Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, and you want to receive everything you want and need, not because you deserve it, but because God has already provided it for you. There's nothing you need to do to earn it. There's no ritual you have to go through to, to achieve it. You just need to receive Jesus. You're not, rece you're not receiving a religion. You're receiving a person. You're receiving a relationship with Jesus. And it's just like, you know, in a marriage relationship, if you marry some rich guy, you get all that he has. Well, he's our husbandman. And we get all that he has by marriage, by this relationship. Because he is by covenant, by this relationship. And so if you want to receive all that God has for you, I just invite you right now just to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We also encourage you to be a disciple. Come tune in each week. And, and there's ever other ways that we can do this. Be discipled in the same truth. So that we know that we just become more established in this truth that I just taught about. And, and more about what, who we are and what we have in Jesus Christ. So will you, if, you, if you're interested in receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, will you just repeat this prayer after me? Jesus, 
I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you died for me. I thank you that you paid for my sin. And I receive your sacrifice. I receive your redemption. I receive this new life that you provided for me. I receive this right now in your name. I am forevermore a child of the living God. Amen. Amen. Congratulations.